You'd be proud of this game, and you can do a great deal for football today. The whole tradition of the National Football League, there's just certain things that go together, the family, football, and we have it all today. Time never really stops for the great ones. It reaches out and wraps them in a cloak of immortality. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the NFL Alumni Lounge, and I hope that you're in the mood to party. I hope that you're in the mood to smile, and I hope that you're in the mood to laugh, because that is what we have for you today in the lounge. One of the biggest personalities and one of the most celebrated players in NFL history. We have got the big man from Pine Bluff who took it all the way to Canton, Ohio, Willie Rove. Willie, how are you? Great, man. Great to be here. Great to be on the show. And the second guy from Pine Bluff High School to take it to Canton, Ohio. The first was Don Hudson, who played in the 40s and early 50s, and I'm the second. Wow. So did you grow up hearing about Don Hudson? That's funny you ask that. I never even heard his name. Didn't know he even went to Pine Bluff High School. We had a few real good athletes that went to Oklahoma. Eric Mitchell uh, went and Danny Bradley, Curtis Williams back in the 80s that went to OU and Keith Jackson was from Little Rock. But I never even heard Don Hudson's name. Really, I didn't hear Don Hudson's name till I got in the Hall of Fame. Then I realized that he went to Pine Bluff High School. That's crazy. Yeah, you would think because I've been to I've been to Columbia, uh, Mississippi, and they have a statue of uh, Walter Payton at the high school. You would think as talented as Don Hudson was, and he's the first ever Hall of Fame class. And uh, you know he went to Alabama and he played multiple sports: baseball, basketball. You know he was a real good athlete, and he ran track. He was a fast guy too. Huh. But you would think they would they would have something from him from for our high school but they don't i was in and, and uh baseball player tory hunter went to our high school he got drafted in the first round the same year i got drafted uh to the nfl out of high school wow there was some there was something good cooking in the water down in pine bluff with you two those are two yeah. ballers right there what are uh now right now you're you're calling from florida though right yeah i'm in florida yeah 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 i haven't lived in Arkansas since i left high school you got the toes in the sand? No, not yet. Not yet. They're getting close. But, yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're building a house right now, and it's almost done. We're excited. It's been a two-year process. But, uh, yeah, we are, we have been in Florida for the last uh, five years, and it's been a, been a good move for us. Yeah, I think you had just moved there when we had first met. That's pretty cool. Yeah, we had just moved. So you go when you get drafted, you go down to Nolens, 1993. Was the party aspect of that city any bit of a distraction for a first round draft pick? Nah, you know what? We, you know, you, you they had a club. They had a club back then called Whispers. Mm-hmm. There was a big club. There was a a club, but it was out east, and I lived in Kenner. So uh, you know, in Kenner. There was it's, if people know New Orleans, you you come into the city. You have when you come across the bridge from Baton Rouge, you have Kenner, you have Metairie, you have Old Metairie. Then you have New Orleans, and then on the other side you have the out east, or you go to uh, through New Orleans and you go to the West Bank. So if you want to really go out and hang out, you gotta go to New Orleans. You gotta go downtown to Bourbon Street in that area to hang out. So you know, I mean, it's 
you know, a lot of the time, you don't, you, back then, you didn't want to go down there. You you go down to some in the off season or during the season, but you got to drive home. You know, if you've been drinking, you still got to drive home. So, you know, it was, it was fun. I never, and, and the good thing about New Orleans, Mardi Gras and some of those festivals were not doing football season. So Mardi Gras would be in February, March, obviously Fat Tuesday and all that. Then you'd have Jazz Fest in April. You'd have the Essence Festival. That was later on. But a lot of the festivals didn't happen doing football season so you know uh if you wanted to get into trouble you could but you know you got you'd have to make sure you got your rest during the week so you'd be ready to play on sunday especially let's say you play on sunday if you want to hang out you might hang out sunday night after the game monday tuesday your day off by wednesday you're going back into the facility and practicing during the week so it's it's so hot down there uh if if, if you want to do good during the week. You uh, you'll learn real quick if you drink too much that you're gonna feel it out there in that heat. It dehydrates you. It gets you yes. quick. It gets yes. you quick. That's true. So, what was your favorite festival? Were you a Mardi Gras guy? Do you like the Essence? What was your favorite? It's funny you bring up. I wasn't really ever a Mardi Gras guy, man. You know, the Essence was toward the end, and you know what what happened was there was a lot of crowds. So, I wasn't a crowd person. Right. You know, to be honest with you. I'd rather go somewhere low key and sit down in the corner and have some drinks. Or you know what? You know what they opened up that was real nice back then in the in the mid nineties. The House of Blues was a nice spot to go to. You know, and, and to be honest with you, I spent a lot of time at the ballet, if you want to call it, when I was younger. So I didn't really like going dealing with a lot of people. You know, I'd rather go. People, people might look at it as a negative, but I'm I'd rather go to an establishment. You know, you want to call them adult entertainment place where women dance and go back, get get a, get a table in the corner and have some drinks and listen to some music and chill. You know, I like that more than being in a in a place where it's real loud and a lot of people. You know, I kind of, you know, went and tried to keep it low key, even though I might not have been going to the best place. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why the nickname Nasty came about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Willie, where is, if, if someone's going to New Orleans, for their first time, all right, and they want to be low key. Maybe they want to see a nice lounge or something. That, you know, smoke a cigar. Where's the best place? What's the best hidden gem in New Orleans? I really, you know what? I haven't lived there in so long. I really couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to go somewhere to eat, I would say if I say any anytime you go to New Orleans, you got to go to Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go to go 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 to go to Bourbon Street, you're going to find some nice places up and down Bourbon Street, some places to go hang out and have some drinks and kick it. Now, a, a nice, do you have Drago's Seafood Place? Ooh. You have uh, uh, Oceana Seafood Place. You got to try the beignets uh, from, from, the, from the famous uh, beignet place down there by Bourbon Street. But, I, you know, as far as lounges and stuff like that, you know, it matters if you're married or single. If you're, mar- if you're single, then you can go, they have uh, different establishments up and down that area. You can go in and you can buy a cigar in that, there, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. If you if you're married, if you want a good cigar, you can go in some of those establishments, if you want to say lounges, and you can go <laughs> and uh, have a cigar in there. Oh, man, we got to say lounge. We're in the NFL alumni lounge right now. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I don't really know about lounges in New Orleans. You know, back when I played, there wasn't a lot of lounges. They didn't have cigar lounges like that in New Orleans. Willie Rolfe, tell the folks the story of you standing, 
proudly, Washington, D.C., in the White House. That, well, I'll tell you what happened. My parents go back to Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas a long, long time. My mom went to law school. I was the third of four children. My brother was adopted after I was born. He was the youngest. So I was, it was two older sisters than me and then my brother. Well, after I was born, my mom decided to go to law school. She was a zoology major at Michigan State. She, real, she skipped a grade real smart. So she went to law school at UALR. And then when she finished law school, she graduated second in her class. And she started practice, She started teaching at the law school at first in Little Rock. Well, Bill and Hillary Clinton were both attorneys and Rose Scholar. Bill Clinton, very smart. And they had a lot to do with, with, with the school and stuff up there. So she met them. And then she went into private practice. Well, you know, you know, this was in the 70s, 80s. So she was up there for a long time. Well, they established a relationship with the, with the family. And for my dad's 40th birthday, which he was born in, which would have been 1981 in Pine Bluff, Bill and Hillary Clinton came to my dad's uh, family birthday party, and we lived on Bunny Park, and we didn't have the biggest place. So he had his party at a lady that had a real big, beautiful house with like a pool inside named Miss Williams across close by our house. So Bill and Hillary Clinton came to my dad's birthday party, and my dad and mom were both, uh, you know, Democrats and, and, and did a lot for the campaign and everything, you know, because they were politically connect connected. And, uh, and lo and behold, Bill becomes president, and my parents, I, I don't know how who reached out to who, who but they were having an Aston, astronaut uh uh, the astronaut special on HBO that Tom Hanks was doing, they were they were showing it for the first time at the White House because I think they had a lot to do with that, wanting that to come out. Uh, Tom Hanks was, was on the third floor. We were staying on the st second floor. And to make the story even crazier, this was when all that Monica Lewinsky stuff was starting to come out. So that oh. was out. Yeah, it was after that. It was after that story had broke, but they had already had this plan, you know, so he didn't care. People still came up there. And to make the story even more crazy, I went to the fight. It was the Tyson fight in 97 when they fought, when he fought Evander Holyfield in Vegas. No I was way. In the, I was at the Gold Gym getting ready for training camp before. So this is the year before or the summer before this this all went down. It was the next summer. So I'm in the gym working out, getting ready for training camp with uh, 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 JFK Jr. is in the Gold Gym. And I and I see him in the gym, okay? So I go to the fight. This is the fight when Holyfield bit Tyson, Tyson bit his ear, it, right. It was crazy. I was in the MGM. It was nuts after that. You know, after you bit him and you go back in the hotel, it was just nuts in Vegas back then, especially oh, in the 90s. Man. Well, it, so in 98, when I'm in the, when I'm in the White House, guess who's, guess who's in the White House for the first time since his daddy died, since he took that famous picture underneath the desk? No It's way. JFK Jr. and his wife. And when he sees me, guess what he does, Charlie? What? He does a bench press motion. Get out he of here. He remembers seeing me lifting weights <laughs> in Vegas uh, the year before the summer of July, before the Tyson, during the Tyson fight. Wow. He remembers seeing me in Vegas. 
in 98, this was in the summer of 98, right before training camp. So he remembered me. He did a bench press motion. I said, yeah, that's me. And he looked, and I get, I know he's wondering, what the heck is this guy doing in the White House? Oh, man. You're presidential. That's what you're doing in the White House. Well, I got pictures, and I got pictures to prove that I was there in JFK. I got pictures. I got, you know, I need to, you know what I'm about to do? I'm about to do a memoir one day. Oh, I have pictures. I got pictures. Well, we can't talk about everything in the memoir, but I got pictures of JFK and me and my mom and his wife. And other people, man, it was uh, it was an unbelievable event. I'll tell you even something crazy about the story. So they had a bunch of chairs set up in the White House in that ballroom, I guess, whatever room that was, right? Right. So my parents went and sat down, and everybody's sitting down. Well, they tried to sit me in some little chairs, like, right by the door. They didn't have nowhere for me, me to really sit. So they're like, you got to sit here. And I'm like, so, so you know, the astronaut special was maybe like an hour or two. I forget. And they had a reception after the movie or whatever. They, they had a reception. So, you know, what happened was they didn't really have nowhere for me to sit. So, you know what I did, Charlie? What? I said, forget the, forget the astronaut deal. Uh, I I walked around the White House by myself while everybody was in there watching it. <laughs> that is cold. What do you, So what's it like walking around the White House? You got the house to yourself. Man, I was walking in the different rooms and stuff and checking everything where I could walk. And uh, I stayed, we were on the second floor. They had the Lincoln room and the Queens room. I think I slept in the Queens room and my parents slept in the Lincoln room. And like I said, Tom Hanks was on the third floor. That's insane. He spent the night too. That is insane. Is that the coolest place you've ever slept? That's the coolest place I've ever slept. That is, that, that is the coolest place and going there and being there with Tom Hanks and JFK Jr. and all those astronauts, I forgot all the astronauts were there too. They were, were previous astronauts that they were talking about in that film. So people go back and they have an astronaut. It's, a, it's like a series they had on HBO in the 90s. This was 98. So that's when it came out. And uh, that was, that was, it was for that. That and Tom Hanks directed. He 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 was the one who directed the series for HBO. So that's why he was there. And uh, man, it was a special. I'll say that that was the coolest thing. And I'll tell you another cool thing that I was got to go. Anybody that was at the Hall of Fame got to, when Jerry Jones got enshrined. His party that he had at the Hall of Fame. He had Justin Timberlake up there for him privately for about two hours. He had a two-story tent, man. He put a tent together. He rented a vineyard. Some people were getting married. He shut the whole vineyard. He paid them to move their wedding. So he had the whole vineyard. His tent was black and gold, uh, gold chandeliers. He had the cheerleaders and all gold out going into it. The whole football team in there. It, the party Jerry Jones threw at the or what he paid for, but this party was the most unbelievable thing I've ever been at. Best party you've been to? Best party by far. Wow. I mean, Justin Timberlake was up there for two hours. That's wild. Yeah, Jerry had to Jerry had to break the bank that night. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Well, what he spent, what I heard he spent over that weekend, it's unbelievable. What do you think? The, people, people said uh, they said he spent over twenty. I heard Eddie DeBarlo. Eddie Barlow, see, he Eddie DeBarlo got in a year or two before, and I didn't go to the party. I should have gone. I know he had Huey Lewis in the news, and he had a tent that was beautiful. And I heard DeBarlo's was like two or three million, 
and Jerry had to outdo Eddie. So Eddie Jerry's might have been, you know, four or five million. Oh man, iconic. Jerry Jones, the icon. Hey, let me ask you a question. Did you ever uh meet Master P when you were playing down in New Orleans? You know what? I didn't Master P was uh you know Master P was big and, and Cash Money was big, but those guys the, Master P lived in Baton Rouge. Okay. So I didn't see him all the time. And and I know he was uh he was uh uh uh, Ricky Williams' agent, but I never really did meet Master P. I never Master did run into him. Was Ricky Williams' agent? You forgot. Master P started an agency company, and he represented Ricky Williams when he first came out of uh, out of uh, Texas. Whoa! And then they put out, and, and and it was sad. You know, they traded the whole draft, and it ended up being a real, real, real bad contract. Probably the worst in NFL history, because. They traded a whole draft for him, and he had to get all his incentives to get this money, or he had to give it back. It was the weirdest thing. I mean, they traded the whole draft. He should have got twenty million guaranteed up front because they traded the whole draft. Right, right. So it was terrible, man, and it was a bad. And it, Ricky got hurt, and it, and it all went downhill. And you know, I, you know, I felt bad for him, but you know, he was drafted in '99, but cash money. It was Master P and No Limit. Then by the time at the end, of it, it was cash money that blew up real big time. So, you know, it, you know, I, I thought I might have seen some of those guys back in the early 90s, but they just weren't hanging out like that. The the energy that New Orleans produced in those years and like how, how that energy went national with those record labels and with those saints and like it, it seemed like New Orleans had a huge impact on culture at that point. Yeah, it did. I mean, you gotta think. No Limit was 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 became the top dog, and then no, and then after when No Limit started falling down, and then here you come with Cash Money, and they just took over. So, oh, the cars. How about those cars they used to bring out? Oh man, they. I'll tell you a story. I went and got. I got married. I went and got my dad, step. I mean, my uh, father in law. I got him two Avalanche trucks. Right, mm -hmm. about two of them. I heard that Cash Money had come in there, and they had bought like twenty of them at one time. Wow. I mean, they were buying. They would buy twenty. This is this. This is a crazy thing. They would buy cars and just give them to people. Well, the people didn't have insurance. It didn't have driving license. You know what I'm saying? You just can't give nobody a car. You got it back then. See, back then, you know, they want, you know, now you have to show them you have insurance and your insurance is done before you drive off the car off the lot. Well, they were just buying cars, just giving cars to people. That's wild. It was crazy, man. And, and uh, you know, they were hot. New Orleans was hot. Then, 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 then what happened was, you know, we had been, up and down, up and down. Well, then you had the 98 season when when the uh, Falcons came out of nowhere and went to the Super Bowl. Right. And then they got, they played Denver. Then the next year, boom, guess who goes to the Super Bowl and turns it around in two seasons? The Rams. And the Rams went to the Super Bowl and won it in 99. Right. And boom, then we saw that happen in our division. So guess what happened next year? We knocked off the Rams in the playoffs. But I'm, you know what? And it, it, this is the craziest thing. I thought about this. Nobody really wanted to touch Randy Moss in 98 and Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was leaving Indianapolis, and he's from New Orleans, the Zion Projects. Do you know in 98, we could have drafted Randy Moss. Wow. Think, looking back on this, I thought about this. And you could have traded for Marshall for a second and a fifth. 
We could have had you could have put a team. We could have had Randy Moss and Marshall Falk in the, after the '98 season. You, you all you got to do is put some players around those two. You can win with those two guys. That's crazy. That's crazy. And your other franchise is looking like they're going to be in winning shape for a long time with the Kansas City Chiefs. Is Mahomes the most gifted athlete or quarterback you've ever seen play? Yeah, you know what? The gifted, if you want to say arm strength, yes. The way he can move around in the pocket and make things happen, and the way he can throw the ball in that aspect. Not, not. He's not a runner. He can't run like Lamar. Lamar Jackson is a more right. just pure athlete. I say Lamar Jackson is the most gifted athlete. I, I can say, but as far as being that's athlete now, as far as quarterback, what. Mahomes is able to do the way he contorts the ball and throws the ball. He's what he's able to do at the quarterback position. You have a guy like Mahomes, if there's a changer that comes in and changes the whole way the quarterback position is played and the way he sides, you know, finds time. You know, Big Ben is good at that too, but the arm angles and stuff that Mahomes does. He'll change the quarterback position forever because of the, what what he does. Nobody's ever been able to do to do what he what he's able to do. So and and that's because he's a uh, you know really a baseball guy, you know, playing quarterback. Right, and you could see that even in the Super Bowl, this guy was sliding baseball style, flicking that ball fifty plus yards. Yeah, it's insane. But that's cool. Sidearm. Side. I mean. The, the thing, the thing he does, the thing. Remember, in the even in the Super Bowl, man. He, remember, he was falling on the ground and threw that ball. Yeah, I mean, it just it's it's sick. He, <laughs> he, he, he he's he's one of those guys that comes along, you know, every generation that is 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 special. He's special. Now you've played on some of the best O lines in NFL history. What is the key to good communication and a good bond on that O line? First of all, experience. You guys have an experience and know what they're doing. And and even if maybe maybe you can have one guy on there that might not have as much experience, but the other four need to have experience. So, you know, when I got we had we had the one good run in New Orleans when we got Wally Williams and he had a, he was hurt his neck the first year and he came on that second year and then I was the vet that on the line and we had Jerry Fontenot at center. Then you had uh, Chris Naoli, who was a real high pick, and Kyle Turley on the right side. So we 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 started all sixteen games, and we our defense was real good. And uh, you know we had running back by committee where Ricky went went down, and we went ten to six. And we were able to make the playoffs in New Orleans, but the offensive defense line set the tone. When I got to Kansas City, it was a whole different animal. You know, I didn't know other than Will Shields, I didn't know any of those guys. I knew John Tate because John Tate was drafted in the first round, and I know he had had some issues at left tackle. But I didn't know Casey Wegman. I didn't know Brian Waters. He he had been, you know, in the arena league and, and undrafted, and they were the fullback and tight end at college. So I got to Kansas City, and uh, lo and behold, we um, they moved they moved John to right, put me in left, and he wasn't real happy about that. But you know, he understood, and uh, after we started practicing, he could see that. I was coming off knee, major knee surgery. I had surgery at the end of Thanksgiving in November, so I was coming off a knee surgery. And then you had, uh, you know, Will, who the consummate pro, who, who went to Terrell Pro Bowls and hadn't missed a game in 14 years at right guard. And and then you had Casey, and they put me beside Brian Waters. And lo and behold, Brian Waters 
that was his first year really starting at left guard. And, you know, Brian Waters, uh, if he had got off to a good start, you know, earlier on in his career, I think Brian Waters would be up for the Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, he went to six pro balls and some all pros. And, I mean, he's uh, – Brian Waters is the best – even even compared to Will, as good as Will was, athlete-wise, Waters, Waters is the best lineman, pure wow. offensive lineman that I've played with. Wow. I mean, he didn't – Charlie, he didn't lift weights. He come in there and put 500 pounds on there. You know, and just thought – you know, he just naturally – he was just – he was just gifted. What's the most you were ever benching in your career? We didn't max out like that when I got in the league. So in college, I benched like 450. Myron Baker, the linebacker that played with me, he benched 455. But I had good endurance strength. I, I can, you know, I, 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 we would do like 385 for reps. Right. Or I was real strong at the incline. I could work out with 405 on the incline bench. Wow. Which was real ironic for me. I was like, how many? I'm real strong at incline compared to benching because a lot of people struggle at incline. Right. But you know, I was just naturally, I'm just naturally strong guy, you know? Right. Just genetics, you know, just naturally quick twitch muscle guy. I'm a, you know, I didn't have to lift weight. I didn't have to squat. I never, I never squatted when I got out. I did leg press, leg extension, leg curl. You know, in college, I power cleaned a lot from the floor. So I was real good at power clean. But when I got to the pros, when I got older, I, I wasn't squatting, man. Wow. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't put all that weight on my back, man. So I wasn't, I wasn't a squat guy. I just did my, Upper body lifting, and I did my leg press, leg stick, leg curls, and I was just naturally fast, you know, quick. It well, never went away. Stronger than Hercules, quicker than a cat, ladies and gentlemen. 189 games played, 189 games started, 11 Pro Bowls, Willie. And now we just opened, I don't know if you even know about this, we just opened the NFL Alumni Academy up in Canton, Ohio. So guys that uh, got cut from NFL teams and guys that uh, didn't get drafted when week th week three hits in the NFL season, this camp's going on up at the Hall of Fame. It's being coached by NFL alumni, and it's going to keep guys ready and, and signing to NFL teams. Last year was the first year, and a bunch of guys got signed. Um, so what's a piece of advice you give to guys that maybe they didn't make the squad, but they have an opportunity to prove themselves in camp? What's something you tell those guys? So, so hold on, explain it to me. So, how long will they be up there? They'll be up there working out, training. What will they be up there doing? They'll be up there working out, training. They're practicing at the Tom Benson Stadium, working out at the gym there. They're getting coached by NFL alumni guys, and they'll be up there for the season in the hotel up there. And 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 and, and the NFL alumni will take care. Will 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 pay for this. Yeah, yeah. These guys are going up there. I'll say this, and and I, and I and I and I will, I will say this. I think it was a better product because guys, when we had in, when the NFL had NFL Europe, that's how Brian Waters was so good. Brian Waters went to NFL Europe and then came back and played center and then he moved to guard, but he played he wasn't drafted. When we had NFL Europe, that gave a lot of guys, even guys that were on practice squad, went to NFL Europe and played against each other. And they had a, some European guys on the team, and those guys, but they were playing football, getting better, and it was real good competition. Yeah. A lot of those guys turned out to be some outstanding NFL players. I played with a few of uh Leroy Glover. Yeah. I think Leroy, Leroy Glover played in NFL Europe. I mean, so 
for the guy. This is great because it gives guys that, that, that are on the cusp time to develop and still work on football drills because if you're not in a football setting, you can't work on football drills that work out. In, in, in football, is different than any other sport. You know, you can't get ready for the pros if you're not practicing doing stuff and doing the drills and working on stuff that the pros do. And then sometimes your body develops later. You know, like Brian and some of the guys, you know, they develop later. It takes a while to get to get ready for the pros. I mean, it, you, it's a grown man sport. And, you know, I was just fortunate to go to a smaller college, Louisiana Tech, develop my skills after I got redshirted and stayed an extra year. So that fifth year really helped me get that fifth year because I got redshirted, really gave me a year to, to work on my stuff. And my, we, we, we were a pro set office and we flipped during the game. So it really gave me time because I, I played left hand right in college. But me, I was a tremendous athlete, but me being a football player, that five years really helped me. That's why I was ready to go when I got to the pros because and my line coach, Petey Piro, played in the pros and some other coaches on our staff, Joe Ferguson and, and Pat Tilly were on our staff. So we had three guys on our staff that played pro football, you know, and they, they, they had a good career, real good career. So anytime a guy has more time to develop and learn and get in the weight room and get in the classroom and work on those techniques, is going to help them get have a chance to make an NFL roster. Yeah, we're we're pumped. This is going to be really cool to see, and um, and and hopefully you know it develops into something big where we we could start adding more positions, this and that. Yeah, yeah. When you come in with a first round, you know you're the first round draft pick, uh, eighth overall. Were you feeling any pressure? Or were you just going into the league pure confidence? No, 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 no. I was feeling pressure. I mean. Let's go back a little bit. In the early 90s, Charles McRae, Anton Davis, th those guys drafted from Tennessee and struggled. Bob Whitfield got in the camp late. He didn't start to halfway through his first year. When I got drafted in the top 10, the Saints had the 20th pick. They traded Pat Swilling to trade up and get me. So they traded the all-pro, defensive player, the player of the year in 91, to Detroit and drafted me. So, no, I had pressure. So what happened was they had picked up Tootie Robbins, Tootie Robbins from, from a Green Bay or, or Arizona or somewhere and gave him $500,000 signing bonus. We got in the tr training camp, and he, he hadn't been used to practicing like we were practicing. Green Bay, one of those school teams. So Tootie popped his shoulder out of place so he didn't have to practice because he was like in his 13th year, last year in the league. So then... In the preseason game, we went to Japan. We had five preseason games. I started, and they ended up releasing Tootie. Oh, you had one of the you had one of the Japan games your first, your rookie year. My rookie year, man. <laughs> I, I came from Louisiana Tech, right? <laughs> so our season was over by November every year. I go from coming to Louisiana Tech. Training camp was two or three in college. You know what I'm saying? And, and I went to a small school, so our season was over early every year. We were, we were done by November. Right. Now we played in the, in the bowl game. We we came back and practice and play uh, in my in, in uh, against Maryland in Independence Bowl in December. But other than that, our season was over. You know, by you know eleven games. Then I go, then I get drafted in the NFL. I got five weeks of training camp, man. I mean. I was so tired. We went to Japan the first day. Then we had four more games. By the middle of the season, man, I had I was so I was I was burnt out. 
And I had to get my second win. I had to get used to it because I wasn't used to playing football like that. That's insane. What did the, What was it like touching down in Japan, just being out there? I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> this is what happened. We were at training camp for a couple weeks before we went to Japan, right? That was, that was the fifth, for the fifth game, right? We left Minneapolis in the daytime. Now, you got to leave at night. If you leave going across the overseas, for the people listening, during the day, when you're flying overseas, it's going to be daytime when you're flying. Well, we left during the day. We didn't leave at night. If you leave at night, then you fly throughout the night and you get you go to sleep. So I didn't sleep real good. The flight was 14 hours. Wow. As soon as we landed in Tokyo, remember they had a college bowl game back then too because when when Will beat me for the Island Trophy, he was playing in the Japan Bowl uh, uh, and he won the Island Trophy because Fresno State, you went over there and they used to wrestle with sumo wrestler guys. Well, anyway, anyway, uh, we flew to Japan. As soon as we landed, they took us straight to the field and made us run. We ran to, to loosen, get the lactic out to get your body moving. Right. After we ran, they said, we're going to give you a day off when you got a meeting. Well, the vets went out and did stuff. I'm going to tell you what happened. Irv Smith and I were roommates. After we got through running and went to the hotel, because didn't, we didn't sleep good on the plane. Irvin and I, I slept for about 20-some hours. I almost missed the meeting the next day because I was sleeping for 20-some hours straight. Oh, my. My body, I wasn't used to it. It just took you out like that. And you, training camp was two-a-days every day back then. It wasn't no – it was two-a-days, two-a-days, two-a-days. You might, and you might have Sunday off. You two-a-days. You, you two-a-days, five days a week. And then you might scrimmage on Saturday. That might be one. You might have a long scrimmage and Sunday off. Wow. That was it. So do you think we'll ever see the NFL, you know, the official team list have international competition? And I mean like a division in Europe or, or Asia. Do you see that happening? No, I don't, I don't. You don't have, if the guys aren't playing football and they don't have organized football like we do in the United States with the colleges and stuff like that, you're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, that's true. You got to, you can't, you can't. You have to grow up or learn how to play football. You you can't just start a league and guys aren't playing football. You have to. It's, it, I started playing football when I was t- 10 years old, organized. And before then, I was playing street ball. So, you know, I played football all my life. You can't. Well, what if it's American league. kids? What if we have a, a team of American kids? Do you think that they could be like, let's say, let's say England? Could England have an NFL team? Well, you'd have to. No, the only thing you you'd have to start up the NFL Europe again. They stopped that. Right, right. Yeah, that was such a great thing. That's a shame that NFL Europe went away. I think NFL Europe was great. Guys love going over there. They got to go to another country. They got to make money. You know, they had camp. And they, but the problem was they came back and they went right to training camp. But it was in the summertime. But I mean, some of those guys went over to NFL Europe and they made a good bunch of money and made a name for themselves and they stayed over there. Right, just like just like the semi-pro basketball players. I bet basketball coaches used to hawk you your whole life trying to get you on their teams. No, no, I wasn't really. Rec- you know what? I wasn't recruited real heavily in either sport. You know, I was a late bloomer, and and I had potential. My I forgot my junior year. I goofed around in school. I played football that fall, and I was and I forgot I was in the gym, and and the semester broke right. And then my, my grades got, my mom got my grades and we had started the basketball season. My mom took me off the team. Wow. 
I think that was kind of a blessing in disguise, though, because if I had gotten to play basketball my junior year and then I went to camp before my senior year, if I had played more basketball and really got to play a lot of basketball my junior year, I think I'd have been better my senior year, and I think that would have made it a little harder for me to keep playing football. So I think it was kind of a blessing that I didn't get to play as much basketball. Yeah, I would say it all worked out. How about Tom Benson? Yeah. What, what was your relationship like with Tom Benson? Man, we had a great relationship. You know, Mr. B, you got to understand, it was it was kind of like the Patriots way. In New Back then, football was, Mr. B loved his players. You come to work, you work hard, you go home, you get your paycheck, you know? And I'll tell you what they do to this day. If there was a good article in the offseason or during the season with you in it, and you were a focal point of an article, his wife does it today. Mr. Benson would sign the article for you and say congratulations because they love positive press, and he would send it to you, mail it to you. That's and cool. I had an article. I had an article recently. I think it was a year ago that I, it was it was in the in the Times Picayune, and Mrs. Benson signed it and sent it to me. Oh, that's cool tradition. Yeah, that's a real cool yes. tradition. Yes, he does it too. Oh, but no, he was a good he was a good owner, man. He loved the city. He never would take the football team. I respect him because he could, he had some deals to take the football team to Texas or make some more money, and he kept the Saints in New Orleans. So he'll always be beloved down there because he didn't move that team. Absolutely. Now, what are your thoughts on? Um, well, we got the new class coming up. Are you going to make the trip to the Hall of Fame this year? We always make it. We got two classes morning. Yeah, it's a big year. Which party? Which party is Willie Rofe going to be at? Uh, I'll probably <laughs> be at a Friday. Who's party? I'll be at Waters party Friday, probably Peyton Saturday. And I'll tell you something. When our class went in, we made a pact. If, if whoever's alive in our class, uh-huh. we're not we're not we're not missing a hall. Oh, that's cool. So we haven't missed we haven't missed one. And I tell you, it's some guys like Bobby Bell. It's some guys. Some of those guys that have been in the hall 30-some years, uh-huh. Willie Lanier, they haven't missed one of them. That's cool. They don't miss them. So, you know, we made a pact. And, 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 and you know, life is precious. Three of my classmates are gone now. And two of them are pretty young guys. Yeah, Cortez. You know? I mean, jeez. Cortez wasn't 50. And then and then, and Chris, you know, that one, you know, he got that uh that 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 uh, brain cancer, man. Yeah. And that's a hard deal for anybody to beat, you know, for you don't have but so much life expectancy when you get that type of deal. So, you know, and then in Butler, Jack Butler was older, so you know, he got in and I I think a year later, the next year he was gone. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I wish guys like that would get in, give them time to enjoy it. But uh like I said, we made a pact in our class that, uh, you know, if we're healthy or we can go, that uh, we weren't going to miss. Well, cheers to that. Let's make a toast, folks, to loyalty, to the greats, and to the man, Willie Rofe. Willie, thank you so much for taking the time to come hang out in the lounge. And uh, I'll probably be seeing you up in Canton. Yeah, man, thanks for having me, man. We're looking forward to it and. uh you know we uh we always have a great time and uh you know you 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 get to go and be around you know, me the, some of the greatest to do it and I grew up a Steelers fan so being around Franco Harris and Mean Joe and Lynn and all those guys you know that's those are guys I grew up watching you know what I mean that's in the seventies so cool. man that's surreal yeah. that's surreal those are your peers now it's just great it's just beautiful yeah. 
Oh, man. Willie, thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. And a very special thanks to the icon, the legend, Big Willie Rofe, for joining us today on the NFL Alumni Lounge. And thank you guys for tuning in. Don't forget, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, and iHeartRadio. And be sure to follow the NFL Alumni on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for exclusive NFL Alumni content. I'm your host, Charlie Boot, and I'll be seeing you next time right here in the NFL Alumni Lounge. Cheers.